Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Ronna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to Dateline Louisiana. I'm here with my co-host, Ronna Gray. Ronna, we're going to have a good, lively show today, aren't we? We always do. Well, I'm glad that so many of you are listeners. Our, our listenership is growing. We start off this podcast, uh, gosh, it's been a couple of months ago, just to kind of talk about interesting things happening in our state. Uh, many positive, many that aren't doing quite so well, but we've talked about music and food and art. And I thought we'd just do today a little update, news update as to what's going on. Just several things we'll throw out to you that listeners in one part of the state may not know what's going on in another part of the state. And let's talk about New Orleans. You know, the mayor out there, uh, uh, Mayor Cantrell, uh, there's a major recall petition of her going on, and it looks like it's got some life. Uh, I was the secretary of state. Ronna, you were my first assistant, and we ran those recall petitions. And in the old days, it took, I think, uh, one-third of the voters, you'd have to get them to sign for a recall to take place. And then if it was successful, you had to have a new election. Well, that was almost an impossible chore to take on. But the legislature moved that now to 25 percent, I believe. So it's easier to recall uh, someone, although it's still a real labor of love. The person has to know their warden precinct where they live when they sign the petition. And then the clerk of court has to certify all those names. And so it's still a real high bar to set. But Cantrell uh, has been under siege and, and uh, quite frankly, for good reason. Uh, I, I wrote a column uh, just uh, uh, last week. You can go to my see all my columns at jimbrownla.com. And in that column, I said, you know, New Orleans is a city that care forgot. And boy, care sure has forgotten them because, uh, you know, uh, I can give you so many ob- ob- observers who've looked at the city and figured out what the heck is going on. Murders happen almost daily, carjackings. And, Rhonda, here's something that really concerns me. New Orleans has always had a a strong crime element. You have a lot of tourists down there, and that attracts some of these thugs that want to rob a tourist. And it's attractive that we have the Super Bowl down there and Final Four and all these events. But the carjacking and some of those violent crimes are done by 13- and 14-year-olds, and often there's girls in the gang. Right. Gir- 13-year-old girls are involved. Why are 13- and 14-year-old girls so blatantly involved in crimes like that? That's just never happened before. Uh, uh, I know we're changing our society and changing more, so we've talked about that in past shows, but that's really troubling to me that a 13-year-old girl, pack of 13-year-old girls who go carjack and might even lead to the death of the person in the car. It's amazing and uh, not exactly one of the areas that we wanted to see equality in with uh, young girls. But it's it's young girls and it's the overall age where it's 13-year-olds that have um, you know, lack of respect for life and property and all that. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what's causing it. Well, uh, are we being too lenient on these kids? And I know you can't go lock up juveniles right and left and solve the problem, 
But so often we've got uh, new leadership down there. We've got a district attorney that says that if, if the crime is not violent, then you should just be left out on your own reconnaissance. So we've got uh, robbers uh, who have robbed before who are going out and and uh, creating and causing some more violent crimes. So uh, are we being too lenient? Uh, the feeling is that often in the past we were too tough on on some of the people that committed some crimes, particularly nonviolent crimes. But it just seems like the focus is out of control. Let me just read you a couple of quotes here if I can. James Lee Burke is one of my favorite authors. He writes a lot about New Orleans. And in his book, a very popular book that I love called Last Car to Elysian Fields, he says this, one of the most beautiful cities in the Western Hemisphere was killed three times and not just by forces of nature, is what he's saying. Look at the crime down there. Tom Cruise movie, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, that was made in New Orleans. A local drug dealer tells Cruise, more shit in the streets of New Orleans than they make in Afghanistan. That's <laughs> what he's saying down there. To give you, uh, Nicholas Cage does a movie that I really enjoyed, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call of New Orleans. And in the movie, Cruz, who's a cop down there, said, they shoot this guy, and the guy is obviously dead. And Cage says, shoot him again. And uh, the, the fellow cop says, what for, says his companion. Cage casually observes his soul is still dancing. You can't kill enough in New Orleans. Oh, wow. And, and this, is, <laughs> this is the focus of literature and a sense that here's this uh, marvelous city with so much good food and good music, and yet a city that's out of control uh, with crime and, uh, uh, and a focus of you're not feeling safe and therefore a huge flight of those who can afford it to the suburbs, to St. Tammany Parish, Jefferson Parish, and even up the river more. And so your tax base is more and more concentrated on the poor who can't afford it. There are homestead exemptions for most of those people. So I think in New Orleans, 70% of the people there, their homestead exemption almost covers uh, – uh, the taxes they're supposed to pay. So as a consequence, you got 30% of the people of New Orleans paying for all this, the services that go on outside of the sales taxes and a few other taxes. So I know the legislature is doing some soul-searching now about talking about uh, eliminating the income tax. Well, if you do that, you've got to up the property tax and balance all this out. But there is some real concern by the legislature about how we restructure, how we raise money and spend money because of all the problems. So yeah, I, I'm, we, we're not going to solve the problem here, but it just seems like, you know, Ron, my first apartment in New Orleans was back in 1963 when I went to Tulane Law School. My roommate and I got a place down right uh, on Charter Street and uh, Dumain, right by Harry's Bar. Instant Harry's Bar was there in, in the back to the 1930s, I think. We were right next door to Harry's Bar. That was our hangout. And this is 1963. And I've had an apartment most of the time, all the time, but always off and on since 1963. And I finally, about six months ago, gave it up because I just didn't feel safe. I didn't want friends to use my place. I didn't want uh, my family to be there and be in that high crime area because, you know, 
I shut it down pretty early. I used to sit out on my balcony in New Orleans over Jackson Square and listen to the music. Uh, you know, at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night is marvelous. And uh, have a glass of wine and had some friends there listen. But, you know, when your kids come in, they, they come in at 3 in the morning. And it's just not a, nothing good happens after mm-hmm. like 9 o'clock at night in New Orleans. And really, not even during the day in New Orleans right now. So uh, I reluctantly gave that apartment up because I just didn't feel safe. And Well, uh, a lot of major cities are dealing with crime, like New Orleans. I think one of the things that comes to mind is that we just happen to have a front row seat because we live so close to a world-class city, and we have both of us have family there that we go down there a lot. But part of the problem is just what you said, um, legislatures wrangling with all these issues, and then you've got the mayor, and she's um, got her problems down there, certainly with her voting public now trying to recall her. We don't have any cooperation among the state and the city officials. You can just look at the example of, um, you know, when when the uh, Louisiana's abortion, anti-abortion law took effect, and the city of New Orleans says, well, the police aren't going to investigate it, and the prosecutors aren't going to prosecute it. So the state legislature withholds money to help with flooding in the city of New Orleans to, like, teach them a lesson. Well, we can't operate like that. We can't operate where our state house treats a world-class city as a spoiled child and punishes them. I mean, again, it goes back to our elected leadership, and there's fault on both sides here. I'm not, you I'm not pointing the finger at either yeah. one of them. This is wrong. I mean, this New Orleans is, people all over the world come to Louisiana because of New Orleans. We can't have that going on. Well, it's an important tax base for the state, uh, and uh, the appeal when, when you're safe uh, brings in conventions. Right. And now, you know, why would I, if I'm heading up a convention, why would I put the folks in uh, that I represent to bring in conventions in New Orleans be put in harm's way? I mean, uh, I would tell them, look, we'll put you right in the central business district and don't you go out of this little area, you know? And uh, so it's just a, a really distasteful situation. Yes, and and it's a city that should have uh, those legislators go down there to those conventions. They love going down there to sporting events and restaurants, and they need to dig in, and the mayor needs to cooperate as well. Hot, let's hop to another topic. We're kind of doing a little news update as we were. Uh, I saw that Lafayette uh, uh, and City Hall said they've made history there because in 1981, they had the first drive-through daiquiri stand, and everybody is just so excited. That's 91, 101, uh, 40 years, 41 years ago, the first daiquiri drive-through. And, of course, we have one of the highest instances of drunk driving in the state. I wonder why. When you, you know, when I tell my friends or people read and they ask me, do you really have drive-through daiquiri stands? They say, you know— I mean, we're dumbfounded. We're dumbfounded by that kind of thing. And then you just take your drink and, and go ahead and drive off. And uh, now that's been mitigated to some degree by the fact that uh, the driver can't have a right. drink in his hand, <laughs> you know, like it's not sitting there between his legs on the seat, but uh, the other people in the, in the car can. And uh, it just shows how out of focus we have in terms of our basic safety. Guy down there is... Uh, uh, down in New Orleans, 
he faces vehicular homicide, his third DWI, hit and run. He kills someone driving, and then he runs from the police. What what do you do with a guy like that? Third offense, in New York, if you kill someone in a DWI situation, you can be charged with first-degree murder. First, and uh, uh, some legislators up there said, this this is too strong, I recall. And the mother said, well, maybe you think it's too severe, but you weren't there with me when I pulled my daughter's body out of the car and she was just cut to pieces and her head smashed in. And uh, you wouldn't feel that way if you went through what I went through and what the burden I'll carry for the rest of my life. And here's a drunk driver. He was about three times over the limit. And uh, should he be charged with murder? And I would, if I were a legislator and I was for eight years, I'd vote yes. I'd vote yes. You got to have some responsibility. So any event, uh, drunk driving is a, is a real tough problem. And I know a lot of people like to have a drink. Uh, and I guess the good news is I, I know within uh, I've got a, a son and, and I've got nieces and nephews who go to the LSU football games and go to different locations. And and Uber has been a, a really great uh, focus. Now, you got to be sure you got a safe Uber driver. <laughs> but assuming you feel comfortable with the Uber driver, at least you don't have to drive home without, with alcohol in your system. And uh, designated drivers, that's important. Who's the designated driver? Uh, and uh, Or you get someone to pick you up. They're running buses to ball games back, you know, to get you back off the street. So at least we're doing some things to get the drunks off the street. But I'm just amazed about how cavalier we've been in terms of dealing with drunk drivers in our state. Oh, I agree. Oh, <laughs> any event, uh, what else is in the news? Uh, I thought this was interesting, Rana. There was a nun. We had a, a nun who was kidnapped and found alive, Sister uh, Sulian Tennyson, Roman Catholic nun uh, from Kenner. From Kenner, Louisiana, Kenner, right. Uh, she was kidnapped two months ago from her bed in a West African mission site. And uh, look, I'm so tickled to death that she's been found alive, but it's very hush hush. Uh, the rumor is that the uh, that the American military went in into a country they probably weren't supposed to be in, and I don't care about that. And they went in and did a raid, kind of like they went in after Bin Laden, I guess, and they got her out. And she's not saying anything, and the uh, the government, our, our U.S. government, is not saying anything. It's all really hush hush. I'm tickled to death that nun got home. I mean, the poor lady, uh, you know, at her age, and and she, she was trying to make a difference. Eighty three years old, but she's back in the states, I think, and safe. Even though they're not saying what the circumstances are, and I'm just assuming like there was a. Uh, uh, you know, we didn't have permission to be in that country. We didn't want to ask for it because we didn't trust the officials, quite frankly. And so we just went ahead and went in and, and kidnapped her and brought her right back back out. So glad they did. And she's but, been there quite a while. Yeah, she's I, been there I, six years or so, six or seven years, yeah, I think, in that, right, in in that the, area, as a, I guess, as a missionary. Right. What a wonderful commitment. What a wonderful commitment for her. But she was kidnapped for like five months. Now, and she's... 83 years 83 old, I years think, old, right. uh, And held in captivity. Apparently her health's okay. She wasn't abused, and she's in pretty good health from the reports. 
Uh, I'd love to hear her speak about it. If, uh, let's let's watch the news if yeah. she if she gives us a talk. She might write can, a book. That's right, <laughs> and I'll publish it. I'll, I think the Lisbon Press should maybe contact her think, about think, uh, writing a book. She's got to be uh, at least exhausted. I'm sure it was not. She was not glad she wasn't injured or abused, but she could, it had to be hard, very stressful, and I'm glad she's home. No doubt, no doubt. Then another interesting, uh, you know. We do a lot of protection for businesses in the state. And in some instances, I mean, particularly when it comes to protection from uh, foreign uh, governments, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, we've uh, we've had problems with the Chinese stealing our secrets and, uh, and stealing books. I, I've been very aware of the fact that uh, the Chinese will steal an American book, very popular by a popular American author, and they'll print it without any, without any copyright protection and sell it in markets throughout the world. So you've got, But as far as American stuff, in the state of Louisiana, we passed some laws that seem to be pretty overly protective. Hair, you cannot braid hair without going through like a 10-month course or something like that in the state. You can't sell cut flowers. You can't cut flowers and put them in a vase without a florist permit from a Louisiana florist association. And you got to take a long course and pay for a big permit fee. And so we seem to go out of the way to protect some of these folks. Tesla, you know, that's the hot new car, the all-electric car. You cannot buy a Tesla direct. Now, if you want to buy it direct, you got to go to some other state. But it's against the law for Tesla to sell directly to a purchaser in Louisiana. You've got to go through a car dealer. And that was a protection was put in some years back so, so that uh, to protect the car dealerships. So you got to go through a dealership of some kind. Uh, I've got a, a young nephew that has a Tesla, and I think he bought it over in Florida, went over and bought it over in Florida. But I didn't realize it was illegal to directly buy a Tesla in this day and age in America, an American-made car, and uh, uh, you can't buy that car in in, in Louisiana. It's amazing. We, what, we license everything. You're right. And over, overly do so. I mean, this day and age, we're just not that competitive, quite frankly, and we should be more competitive, and uh uh, we don't do so. So I'm not. Uh, uh, you got a. Uh, you've got a hybrid car, don't you? What do you drive? I do. I drive a Lincoln hybrid car that uh, has an electric battery in the trunk, but it's not a. Re- it recharges while you drive. It's not one where you have to go to a charging station and recharge it. Don't have to plug it you in. You don't have to plug it in. But what it does is when you're idling you run on electricity. So you get very good gas mileage. When you when you leave the red light up until you get to about 30, 35 miles an hour, you're on the battery, and then the, the rest kicks in. So you, you use a lot less fuel. At the time that I, I've had two now, hybrids, at the time that I wanted these, I had a BMW, and it was a gas guzzler. So I'm like, I'm getting a hybrid. But um, I was worried about the the charging stations and the availability of them, especially because, as you've mentioned, I grew up in Mississippi. It's rural area. I'm up there almost every week, and I didn't know if I'd have charging stations available. But I did hear President Biden just today talking about 550,000 charging stations that are going to be installed in the United States. 
and it's going to be like gas stations. So we're going electric. We are going electric. And for people in Louisiana that worry about that because of our dependence on oil, the oil companies have been preparing for this for decades. This is not new to them. So everybody's adapting. We've talked a lot on our podcast about change and change is hard, but everybody's adapting and uh, we might have to with, with the Tesla sales too. It's uh, you're right. There are changes going on. Uh, I, of course, and I don't, I haven't not looked at the figures, but electricity is not free. Electricity has got to be generated. And what generates electricity is, is of course, oil and gas power. Uh, now, wind can do it. Some alternative fuels can do it. But you still got to generate the electricity. And then the average car, if it's a fully electric car, uh, I've heard on several reports in the news, is about $30,000 more than, say, a similar car that is uh, uses gasoline. So, uh, And I'm very sensitive to this. I looked into to electric cars and cause, uh, I, uh, I had my car total. I was very lucky. Uh, uh, somebody sideswiped me and, uh, ran me into a brick wall in, in New Orleans coming up over the spillway out of New Orleans, coming back to Baton Rouge. And uh, my car was just, if you saw a picture of it, you'd say, how could anybody survive that? I had a little scratch on my knee and that, that was about it. And I just got it, walked away from it. So, uh, uh, so I said, well, now that I've got, got to look for a new car, what am I going to get? And I, I like to carry stuff with me. I carry books. I carry uh, uh, my fishing rods. I like to have it all in the back of my car. So I kind of needed an SUV. And I looked and I studied and I looked. And so with my heart in the right place of wanting to do electric and save the environment, I went out and bought about the biggest single gas guller you could get. I got a, a, uh, I got a Lexus LX, big giant car that, uh, I mean, you go by a gas station and, and my, my Lexus starts panting, you know, starts shaking when you go by the gas station. And I didn't want to get that, but there were several factors. Number one, I wanted a lot to carry. Uh, my wife and I travel a lot. We go back up to North Carolina, so I wanted a good heavy road car. Then I was worried about my safety. You know, I, I'm my reflexes I feel are fine, but I'm not. I'm not 48 anymore or 52. <laughs> I'm 82 years old. I don't have the reflexes I know, even though I tell myself I do. And so I just wanted to be safe. So I ended up getting the biggest car on the. You can't get a bigger car. Uh, than, than a Lexus LX. It's a giant of a car. So look, that nun was older than you, and she lived in the jungle for six years and was kidnapped for five months. I don't hear her complaining. She must have pretty good reflexes. Chris, <laughs> producer Chris, do you get the assembly she's talking about, uh, the, the, the nun in Kenya who's You're kidnapped to my gas guzzler, to my Lexus? It's Chris, like, Chris, do you, do you get sounds- that? You it sounds like she's calling you out there, Jim. It sounds like she's calling you out. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I'm 82. I don't right. have good reflexes. And one more story <laughs> in the news that just uh, r- struggles. We've got a Louisiana security guard agency. All these private agencies uh, that have security guards, and you see security guards every every place from Walmart to to office buildings. We have private security guards all over the place in schools, and I'm glad we do. Well, there is a board, a, a, an agency that oversees this board. 
The director of the board is arrested just recently for doing a drug deal in Amite, Louisiana, passing the drugs. Uh, she's got the drug. She's the drug dealer. <laughs> she's like 25 or something, and she's a drug dealer, and she heads up the private security agency in the state of Louisiana. Uh, uh, for- fortunately, the board fired her immediately, and for good reason, after they catch her in a drug. I mean, can, can we make this stuff up anymore, Rana, about some of the crazy news that goes on in our state? Maybe she had been through the drive through daiquiri place <laughs> that had impaired her judgment. And we don't want to talk bad about her state. Like I say, the main focus of this uh, of this podcast has been positive things. Uh, we've talked about, like I say, the great uh, uh, attraction of living down here, even though a lot of people say, I wouldn't want to move down there. And they mention some of the negative factors, but they still flock down here when it comes to Jazz Fest and Mardi Gras, and, and if they want to get a good meal at a reasonable price, you're not, you, you can get probably a, a meal on par in New York if you pay twice as much for it. So uh, uh, there must be some reason why 25 million tourists a year flock to New Orleans and probably the same amount flocking all over the state to Lafayette and Baton Rouge and even Shreveport other locations now so uh, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast i think it's some of our quirkiness that makes us so uh, attractive to to people yeah. to visit and move here and this podcast is kind of quirky too but we we enjoy doing it with you what well, rana we're on every friday and uh, we're on every friday uh, uh on a regular basis we put a new podcast up that's one thing you know we used to do ron and i used to do this radio show on sunday mornings and, man, you had to be there at an exact time, and people – we could go back and listen to our shows. It was kind of a labor of love, and um, uh, it was a good show. We, we had people listening all over the country, but we get pop people all over the country listening to this podcast. But uh, we did that for a while. This is more fun because we can get timely issues, and we can leave them up there on our podcast, and we're glad you're listening. Rhonda, how do people contact us if they disagree or agree or just want to rant and rave for a while? How, how do we hear from them? Well, first of all, you can email us. You can go to you can email us at Huey, just like Huey Long, H-U-E-Y, at DatelineLouisiana.com. That's our email address. You can email us thoughts on what you'd like to hear us talk about. Join the conversation you just listened to. You probably listened to Jim thinking, I got something I want to tell him. That's the way you do it. Send it. We'll both get it. Or always go to DatelineLouisiana.com to listen to our podcasts or anywhere that you listen to other podcasts. We're there, too. Well, thanks, Ron, and thanks our producer, Chris O'Loughlin, uh, for looking out for us, Chris, and and uh, getting the show up, uh, as he always does a good job in doing. Hey, you guys, th- you guys and gals, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next Friday right here on Dateline, Louisiana. Thanks for listening to Dateline, Louisiana, with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Ronna, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.